Good morning once again. Here we are in the presence of God. We are before His throne as we are worshiping Him, as we're singing these songs. And now as we look into His Word, we, we find ourselves in the most beautiful and the most holy place we can be. We, as we often sing, are indeed standing on holy ground. And so we give our Lord our best. I'm excited about what we're going to be talking about in the next few moments. We're going to be discussing the joy that God desires that we have in our hearts. Joseph read for us a moment ago, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and in verse 16 he tells us there, Rejoice always. We're going to talk about what that means and the reasons that we have for rejoicing, but let's consider for a moment how important that rejoicing, having rejoy in our heart, how important that is to our relationship with God and those about us. A third century man was on his deathbed, and so realized that was at hand. He penned these words. It's a bad world. An incredibly bad world. But I've discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people are Christians. And I am one of them. Our joy in what we have found is crucial, brethren. It is crucial to our own happiness and to our faithfulness, to our influence upon and our success in leading people to Christ. In fact, one put it this way, Vanukin, he said, the best argument for Christianity is Christians. Their joy, their certainty, their completeness. But the strongest argument against Christianity is also Christians. When they are somber and joyless. When they are self-righteous and smug and complacent consecrations. When they are narrow and repressive, then Christianity dies a thousand deaths. Over and over the Scriptures, God speaks to us in the Bible. And He tells us that we are indeed to be happy, that we are to rejoice in the Lord. In the book of Philippians, somewhat a sub-theme of what Paul is writing to them about. He tells them again and again that they are to rejoice, that they are to rejoice in the Lord. In Philippians chapter 3 and in verse 1, he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Right? The same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. He's writing from a cell in a prison, not like our prisons that we have today. He's in a prison and He's writing to them, Rejoice! Rejoice in the Lord! In chapter 4 and in verse 4, He says, Rejoice in the Lord always! Again, I say to you, Rejoice! Let me suggest to you that what we read in 1 Thessalonians verse 16 and what Paul is writing here in the book of Philippians, they're not suggestions. Hey, if everything's going good today, be happy and rejoice. If life is doing fine and you've got an emotion going inside and you're feeling good, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. No, that's not what he's saying. He says rejoice and to rejoice always. So if God is giving us a command and not a suggestion with 
qualifiers on it. He said rejoice always. Don't we need to understand what He's telling us? Don't we need to understand what He means by rejoice? Let me suggest before we move into the the main points of the lesson, and I forget to add this. We're not talking, when we're talking about rejoicing, we are not talking about a manufactured emotion. We're not talking about a manufactured joy. We're not talking about a facade that we put on. We are to rejoice in our hearts and we are to rejoice in the Lord. And when He tells us here, commands us that we are to rejoice, this word that is used here is one that means to be cheerful, full of cheer. That is, calmly happy or well off. And so we're not talking about rejoicing in the Lord that we're bouncing off the walls and we're always singing sanctuary song. <laughs> He's talking about that we are calmly happy. Inside, we have a contentment. We have a joy inside because we know who we are. We know who our Lord is and we know His promises. And so no matter what happens around me, no matter what situations I find myself in, as Paul in a, in a maybe cold and wet dungeon, I don't know what time of the year it is, he says, voice. The pains that we may find ourselves in, especially as we grow older, the relationships that are bringing us heartache and seem to be consuming us, in the midst of all of that, we are to rejoice. That is, we are to be calmly happy within and well off. So what I want us to do with this lesson is since we are to rejoice, I want us to remind ourselves from God's Word some of the reasons we have for rejoicing. How long has it been? How long ago was it for you that you became a Christian? Some of you might be saying just a few weeks ago. I don't know when the last person here became a Christian. For some of you, you may say, I don't remember how long it's been. It's been a long time. Life can be a burden. Life can be distracting. And we forget the reasons that we had for rejoicing. We let the difficulties and we let the distractions pull us away from our focus. And so let's remind ourselves, Let's go through the Scripture and let's see some of the reasons that we have for rejoicing in our Lord Jesus. The first thing I want to suggest to you is that let's not forget the joy that we find in forgiveness. In this book of Acts, we read of people who are baptized into Christ and the joy that they are having because they know that their sins have been washed away. In Acts chapter 8, verses 5 through 8, we read about how that Philip went down to Samaria and he preached Christ to them. Verse 6, And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. It's not only not, let us not discount it. It's not only because they were witnessing miracles that were flying nature and they when their loved ones were recipients of these great miracles, but he was preaching the gospel in that city. And they were learning that they could have their sins forgiven. And if we were to read on, we would see that many of them indeed were baptized into Christ. And so there was not just a little joy, there was great joy in that city. 
Oh, do you remember? Do you remember the day that you were baptized into Christ? I remember. We'd come out of the world, as I had said. I wanted to be baptized into Christ. But I was afraid. I was afraid that I would not be very good at living the Christian life. I was afraid that I would continue to sin. I was afraid of the commitment because I understood. And I remember telling Penny, who we were engaged at the time, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this the right way. If we're going to do this, we are going to be true Christians. And that's what I was afraid of. I understood the commitment. I understood the change. The complete change that we had to make. So I went forward one Sunday morning after services, immediately afterward. And I sat in the front pew and I talked to the preacher. I already understood about the one true church. I already understood about the forgiveness that we have in the blood of Christ when we're buried with Him into His death. I understood that I was going to become a Christian, but I was still afraid. And so I got up and I left and I was not baptized. A couple of weeks later, I could wait no longer. I went forward on that Sunday morning and I was baptized into Christ Jesus. Side point. I grew up under the hood of a car. My dad was a mechanic. He had his own shop. And so we started working at 10 years old. I grew up around cars, in cars. So we had some pretty neat cars. At that time, I had a 1970 Le Mans Sport. Had the hood scoops, factory hood scoops and all on it. And we're driving down the road, had bucket seats, and we're driving down the road, and, and, and I'm thinking at the time after I was baptized, I was thinking, I don't have to be afraid anymore. I don't have to worry about if Jesus returns. And I was thinking, I remember vividly thinking, if He comes again, what's it going to be like? All the angels are going to be with Him. The sky in whatever way is going to open up. We're going to see Him in His glory. It's going to be a great day. And I hear a voice. Ken. And I look over at Penny and she says, you got to let go of my hand, it hurts. <laughs> I was squeezing her hand so tightly with all these great thoughts going through my mind. I was hurting her hand. I was so filled with joy. My sins had just been washed away. Do you hear that? And then we let life down. We let life get us distracted. And we forget that joy. We read about it in other places. In the same chapter, Acts chapter 8, we read about how that... Philip joined himself to the chariot and he preached to him Jesus Christ. And I'm reading again from the New King James Version. It says, Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said to him, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Lord caught Philip away so that he saw him no more, and he went on his way. He understood it. He knew that his sins had been washed away. He knew that he indeed was forgiven. In Acts chapter 16 with the Philippian jailer, when Paul came into their home and he preached, to him, it says. Now they spoke to them, verse thirty-two. Then they spoke to them. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. 
Now when He had brought them into His house, He set food before them and He rejoiced, having believed on God with all His household. What a night! He and His household. Greg, have you ever baptized a family? I've not baptized a whole family, but I've baptized several members of a family at one time. Think of this. This man is thinking, not only have my sins washed away, my family, my servants may be included in that household. We've all had our sins. What a great night of rejoicing it was. There's joy in forgiveness. It is at the point of baptism that we pass from death into life. Jesus, speaking of this matter in John 5, In John chapter 5 and verse 24, he says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. And so when we believe, and we're talking here a biblical perspective of belief, when we believe on the Lord, we put our trust in him, when we follow that through with repentance, confession, repentance, and baptism. We pass from death, from condemnation, into life. What greater thing can there be? God's condemnation has been removed from us. In Romans chapter 8, and verse 1, as Paul cries out in, in his speaking of the law and sin and, and, and the influence of sin because it takes advantage of the body, the desires of the body. He cries out in Romans 7 and verse 4, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death, this body through its desires and lusts that brings death upon me because I give in to it. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. There, and this is our point in chapter 8 and verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There's no condemnation. We are out from under God's judgment in the sense of being condemned by Him. and Judgment being upon us. Our sins are washed away as far as the east is from the west. So His so sins are removed from us. He remembers them no more. Praise our Lord. Not only that, but we talked last night about how that after we become Christians, unfortunately, we still commit sin. We have died to sin. We are trying our hardest to walk in the light, to live holy lives. But we transgress. We break God's commands. And brethren, what a joy there is in knowing that not only did God wash our sins away when we are baptized, He did not design it and He did not create it that, okay, I'm going to give you a second chance. You're baptized. I'm going to wash your sins away. I'm going to forgive you, but no more mistakes. He designed it that Jesus has not only been raised from the dead, but He has ascended to God's right hand, and He has appeared in the presence of God for us. Make intercession for us with His blood. In Hebrews chapter 7, 
Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25, where in the context he's speaking of the power of Jesus' endless life to be our intercessor. He says in verse 25, Therefore, He is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Let me pause. We ought not sin, brethren. And we'll see that in a passage in just a moment. We ought not to sin. And as Christians, we ought to be trying to sin. But in our foolishness, in our weakness, we do. When we sin, brethren, small thing, and if we are viewing it as, well, when I get home and pray tonight, I'll just ask God to forgive me of my sins. If we're viewing it in that light, in an immature way, we need to grow. Sin put Jesus our Lord on the cross. And when we sin, it is a it is a very consequential matter. And I want to suggest to you, this is my suggestion to you. When you sin, stop right then and there. And with sorrow for your sin, repent of it and ask God to forgive you. Don't put it off and make it a light matter. We need to go to our intercessor. We need to go to God through our intercessor and ask for forgiveness. And what a joy to know that as Christians who sin, if we are genuine in our repentance and our confession, He will continue to forgive us. In chapter 9 and verse 24, Hebrews 9 verse 24, He says, For Christ is not in the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Jesus is not sitting on His throne just waiting, just watching, if you will, as a movie to see what all we are doing. He is at work in the presence of God with His blood. He's making intercession for us. And in First John, we mentioned last night, let's turn there, in First John chapter... 1, beginning in verse 5, and our main point will be in verse 7. He says, This is the message which you have heard from him, and de- uh, which we have heard from him, and declare to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, keep on sinning, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we're trying to live holy and pure lives. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ. His Son cleanses us from all sin. Continue on. If we say that we have no sin, we make Him... Uh, if we, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're in our first point. Don't get your songbook out. But if you're sinning in your life, If you're not walking in the light, hear the Lord as He speaks to you this morning through His Word. Turn, change, repent. If you're a Christian and you repent and you confess, He will forgive you. And if you're not a Christian and you confess and you repent and you're baptized, He will wash your sins away this morning. And what great joy that there is in that. Our next point that I want us to consider is that there is great joy in knowing that we have fellowship with God. 
What an amazing thing. We were under His condemnation. We were indeed separated from Him. The New King James Version uses the word in Colossians 1, uses the word alienated. We were separated and we were not in a a loving and, and right relationship with Him. In verse 19 of Colossians 1, He says, For it pleased the Father that in Him, speaking of Jesus, all the fullness should dwell and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of the cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. And let me just catch the first part of 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the Gospel. Notice what he said, you were alienated and enemies in your mind by your sins, by your wicked works. I knew before I became a Christian, nobody had to convince me. If you had asked me, are you going to go to heaven when you die? I would have said no. I know that. I knew I was bound for hell because I knew that I was a sinner and I knew that I was alienated and separated from God. And what a joy it was when I was baptized to know that by the washing, by the forgiveness of my sins, that I was reconciled with God. I was now acceptable to Him. Now we are in fellowship with Him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9. He said, God is faithful, by whom you were called to the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is not, as we talked about yesterday afternoon, God is not taking any pleasure in us being separated. He is not looking down on us merely with disgust and anger because of the, on the lost, because they are rebellious against Him. He's looking down on in love, yearning to bring them to Him, to reconcile them to Himself. And so, God calls us through the Gospel. He calls us to fellowship with Him. And this should give us great cause for rejoicing. In 1 John, a problem that the Christians were experiencing at the time is that there was a group called the Gnostics who were claiming special revelation and a special relationship because they had this spiritual insight that others didn't have, and they were looking down their noses, and they even had separated themselves from the Christians, and it seems that this had troubled them, and they were beginning to wonder, are we separated from God? Are they right? Are we wrong? And notice what John writes to them, to give them assurance, and thus us as well, that we are indeed in fellowship with God if we're walking in the light. Verse 1, For that which we... For that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested to us, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We're going to read on, but what he's saying here is they're claiming to know God and telling you that you don't know God. We're the ones that saw Him. We're the ones that handled Him. We touched Him. We lived with Him for three years and we are in fellowship with Him and we're writing to you so that you will know that you have fellowship with us and thus our fellowship is with God. Now notice what he says, the important part about that in verse 4. The purpose of the letter 
And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Amen, brethren. We are in fellowship with God. What greater joy, what greater cause for rejoicing. We are in fellowship with God. I write these things to you, he says, that your joy may be full. Are you happy? Do you have joy in your heart? Have you missed the point, if not? Or have you forgotten what a great thing this is to be called into fellowship with the Lord? Have you forgotten the joy of the burden of sin being lifted? We have cause for rejoicing. Indeed, who are keeping His commands are the people of God. Another cause for rejoicing is that we have fellowship with Christians. How sad it is. How sad it is. Somebody might think, you don't know the Christians I know. Sad indeed. We are to be a people of love, holiness, purity. Then how could you not love us? Well, again, we have our imperfections, don't we? We have our warts. We have our problems. But we ought to be able to get past those because of the great love that we have. And there is joy, brethren, in being in fellowship with one another. We, as I had thought in my naive thinking when I was baptized, this is the family of God and all these people are brothers and sisters and how they must love one another. That's what I thought because that's what the Bible taught. We're in fellowship, brethren. It's at baptism... Acts chapter 2 and verse 47. It is at baptism that the Lord adds us to His church. And the Lord added to the church, verse 47, daily those who are being saved. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, He speaks of how, He speaks about how that it is the same Spirit that we are baptized into one body. And so as Paul demonstrated, knowing the bond that there is between us, as he demonstrated in his comments and his prayers concerning the various brethren. This ought to fill our hearts with joy, brethren. It ought to make us happy that we are members of the Lord's church. It ought to make us happy that we get to come together and worship with one another. That we get to share one another's lives. It ought to bring us joy. In Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Let's read verses 3 through 11. And just... Note for yourself as we read along what great joy and how great that Paul counted it a blessing that he knew these brethren and that we're in fellowship with one another. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy. It makes me happy to pray to God for you. Verse 5, for your fellowship in the Gospel from the first day until now. It gives me joy to pray to God for you because of your fellowship that we have in the Gospel, saving message of Jesus Christ. Being confident of this very thing, that He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart. Inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the Gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness. How greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. In this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in all knowledge and discernment. That you may approve the things that are excellent. 
may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. In 2010, went to Fiji. There was no sound church in the country. And so, I was being supported by a congregation in Kansas City to just do evangelistic work throughout the world. In 2010, I went down to Fiji and I preached the Gospel there. In 2011, Penny and I moved there having already baptized several people into Christ and we began a congregation. And we've been working there. We lived there for over two years. We've been working there since 2010. And, and because there was no work there, there were no sound Christians there, and because God blessed us to give us that opportunity to take the Gospel there and to establish a church, there is a special bond, there is a special relationship between us and the brethren there. And I can understand what Paul is saying. I yearn for you. I want to see you. I want to be with you. Why can we not have that feeling here? Why can we not have that feeling and, and that conviction in congregations across the world? We're brethren. And we are in fellowship with one another. It needs to bring us. It ought to bring us great joy and it ought to keep us encouraged. And when we have problems, brethren, let's work through them so that this is not uh, uh, dampened, this joy that we are to have being in fellowship with one another. In Acts chapter 2, the early church, those 3,000 and those that were being added to them day by day, it speaks about their happiness to, to be with one another and to be saved with one another in Christ Jesus. It says, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. That's talking about their demeanor. That's talking about their disposition and not how they were happy to have food. They ate their food. They lived out their lives with happiness and simplicity, singleness, gentleness of heart. The last point that I want us to consider this morning is that there is joy, my brother. There is joy in our heavenly citizenship. Though we may grow comfortable in this world, it's not our home. In Philippians chapter 3, as he's following up the idea, the concept, that there are some people who are worldly and they follow their gut. They're, they're following their, their things and their own speak about um, that very thing, them following their, their, their gut, if you will. He follows it up in verse 20, but not us, not you and I, not those of us who are keeping the Lord's commands. He says, for our citizenship, they're following earthly things, but not us, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to His glorious body, according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's what we're yearning for. That's what we're waiting for. Those two years that we lived in Fiji, it's a third world country, brethren. When you watch the house hunters and you see people buying houses in the Fiji Islands. That's not the real world. The real world in Fiji is third world. And that's where we lived. And we were foreigners. I don't care how long we lived there and how much we learned about them, because we did not grow up in that culture, we could never truly understand and truly be a part of that country. We were strangers foreigners. 
We were just passing through. And we lived in a house that was about a quarter mile from the landing strip of the International Airport. One strip. One landing strip. All the planes to the... And we didn't have air conditioning. So it's 95 in the summertime. You open up the windows and you turn the fan on. And that jet comes in to land just a quarter mile, maybe five or six blocks is all we were from the runway. And that jet takes off. And we'd be talking and it'd be as we were... And you'd wait for that jet to go by. And then you'd continue your conversation. And so often, so oftentimes, Penny and I would look over at each other. And instead of being annoyed, we'd look over at each other and we would just smile. And people noticed it. They probably thought we were strange. They probably thought we were strange for other reasons too. But as we'd look over and smile at each other, we knew exactly what we were talking about. What a beautiful sound. One of these days, we're going to get on that airplane and we're going to go home. We're going to come back to the culture we know. We're going to be back with our family and with our grandchildren. And it was a beautiful sound to us when we would hear those jets taking off. Brethren, our citizenship is in heaven. And we ought to be eagerly waiting for our Lord's return. And it ought to bring us joy every time we would hear those planes take off. It would give us happiness inside because we knew someday we were getting to come home. Someday we're going to go home. Let me give you another story that I heard right after I was baptized. There's a gospel meeting and, and this preacher is preaching about heaven and yearning for heaven. And he illustrated it this way. Do you find yourself sometimes so distracted you don't even think about heaven? You don't look up to the skies and yearn. Maybe today's the day Christ is coming back. It gets away from us, doesn't it? And maybe it's because we're having so many troubles and we're distracted by those pains and we're distracted by those troubles. But oftentimes it's just because life is so busy, it's rushing past and we're on fast forward. He told the story. Two families, they go camping. And one's a young family and they don't have much money. They take a week off of of work and they get their tent and their sleeping bags and they head out to the campground and they're having a great time, but it rains and the tent leaks and the sleeping bags get soggy, but they're still enjoying time away from home and the grind and, and they're having a good time. But by the end of the week comes, it's we get to go home. <laughs> Tired of sleeping on the ground in these soggy sleeping bags. And then the other family... They get in their RV, and I know some people who own RV manufacturing. Their typical RV costs $500,000, their average RV. You see them going down the interstate. It used to be, well, I wonder which star is in that one anymore. <laughs> average Joe's owning one of these $500,000 RVs. They go and they sit up in this park, and they, they put their, their anchors down, and they put their awning out, and, and they've got oak trim in this motor home and the big screen TV and their dish on top and and, and the end of the week comes oh man we've got to go home you know sometimes when our life is burdened and we're having problems it's good for us to be in that leaking tent because we want to go home 
Sometimes it's not a good thing when life is going so good. Ah, things are going so great. Does it have to end? Brethren, our citizenship is in heaven from which we ought to be eagerly waiting for the Savior. This is our reward that God promises to us. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 12, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 12. Notice as Jesus spoke about how that this ought to be our perspective. He says, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad when you're persecuted, when they accuse you, speak evil of you. He says, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Brethren, we have a reward. We have an eternal home. We're going to see God. We're going to be in presence of the angels and all of the redeemed. And again, he says, rejoice in this. Even when life is bad, when they're persecuting you, you're struggling in that day to day, rejoice because great is your reward in heaven. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus had commissioned his, his, uh, 70 of his disciples to go out and to preach the kingdom of God. And he gave them the power to work miracles. And so they return and they're filled with joy. They're rejoicing. And they say in verse 17, Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in Your name. And He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Think about that. What if we were one of the seventy? What if, Greg, that you and I could go out and we could lay our hands on someone and they are automatically restored? What if they could uh, uh, had a leg missing? Boom! They've got a leg. Raise someone from the dead. You think we'd get excited? You think we would be happy and filled with joy? Come back and they are joying that even the demons are being cast out. And He's giving you this authority. You're going to be able to do these things. Verse 20, Nevertheless, wait a minute... <laughs> Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Amen. We are to rejoice, brethren. If you are washed by the blood of Jesus, if your sins are forgiven, if you are walking in the light, we ought to be rejoicing because we're going home. We're going to be with our Lord. And so, brethren, life is a distraction. Sometimes life becomes a grind. Let's not let it rob us of that joy that God intends for us. He wants us to be happy. Not manufactured, not of a song. He wants us to know we're going home. He wants us to know we're in fellowship with one another. He wants us to be confident that we're in fellowship with Him. And He wants us to know our sins are washed away. They are forgiven. We've got the responsibility to seek Him with all of our hearts, to put His kingdom and His righteousness first, and to confess our sins and beg for forgiveness when we sin. If we will do that, we ought to be filled with joy. If you don't have that, if it's missing in your life, we've talked about from the Word what you need to do to recapture it. But if you're not a Christian this morning, we want to rejoice with you. God's calling to you through His Word. He wants to wash you. He wants to cleanse you. Any way we can help you to be baptized into Christ, to be restored, just to help you through difficulties and problems, we want to help you.
why don't you let us know while we stand and while we sing by coming forward? Come to the table.